Good morning, neighbor. It's still just as dark as it can be. Uh, uh, let me take my yeah, let, me, let me take my earpod out. I hear what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, did you ever have earpods? I, I never heard of that when I was a kid. But uh, my family wanted me to stay busy, and they they gave me something called Beats. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but uh, the word was beats. Dad, we bought you some beats, and if you use these, you'll stay busy all the time. My dad told me if you'd mind your own business, you'll stay busy all the time. <laughs> and uh, I've learned to uh, adhere to his admonitions. My dad used to take us out into the pine forest where we had... Uh, Life lessons in the piney woods of South Arkansas. <laughs> One time I had just gotten married to this beautiful girl from uh, Smackover. And uh, uh, she just was beautiful inside. That's the brain, soul, the mind, and heart. And uh, she just was the epitome of an intelligent soul. Is still and uh i uh tricked her into marrying me <laughs> yeah i told her i was pregnant <laughs> she didn't believe it <laughs> i said yes i am she said no you're just fat <laughs> okay busted <laughs> humor is the helper that makes a, a marriage survive the uh, dichotomy of male and female. The book says, the old book, you know, uh, says that uh, he made them male and he made them female. He sure did. <laughs> he sure did. I began to be aware of that when I was a, a younger man. <laughs> Got older and they've all kind of blended back into, into <laughs> a universal human. <laughs> When I was a kid, the uh, the band called The Doors, which was based on an LSD trip and a book in which the book said, if we could all have the lenses of our perception cleaned, we could see heaven. If we had the lenses and the doors of our perception cleaned. Uh, so I'm here this morning with our neighbor broadcast, and I'm the uh, I'm the cleanser for your vision today. Uh, if you don't have a uh, glass cleaner, don't worry. <laughs> uh, here I am. <laughs> Neighbor, it's so good to see you this morning. I can't see you. It's dark. It's as dark as when I was talking to you uh, last night. But there, uh, there is a street light. And uh, I don't know why, but our street light has a, a bat house on it. <laughs> I guess that's to eat the bugs that are attracted to the light. See, everything has a plus and a and a negative. If you have light, that's great, but you, you also might have bugs. You know, when I taught school in Eudora, Arkansas, we went to a football game one night in the Mississippi Delta. You could have thrown a rock from the football stadium and hit a catfish in the Mississippi. <laughs> and uh, I've never encountered the Delta at night with the light turned on. And so we we um, got out to the stadium and a thing came over us and it was the biggest, it was at least as big as an eagle. <laughs> and I said, little duck. <laughs> and I said, and I pardon my language, but I said, what the hell was that? 
And she said, that's a bug. <laughs> and it wasn't trying to get us. It was headed to the light. <laughs> and I don't know why bugs think that's such a big deal, but uh, if you're in the Delta and you turn on the light, you better be ready for visitors. <laughs> a little bit later on, we were uh, driving in the further heat of the summer of a Delta Mississippi River night. And uh, I said to Linda, I'm about to turn on my windshield wipers. It's rain. <laughs> she said, that's not rain. I said, what? <laughs> what is it? She said, it's bugs. <laughs> it was. It was bugs attracted to our headlights. By the time we got home, we were slickered up with bugs all over our headlights, all over the windshield. And uh, it was horrible. So we went inside and watched TV and forgot about it. I'm here in here in the carport and there's a bug sitting on my truck because guess what? <laughs> I've got the light on and everybody in the neighborhood's coming in. I don't know what kind of bug that is, but he, he thinks I can't see him. And uh, he's kind of white and he's hiding on my truck. He thinks. I uh, came out here to talk to my neighbors today and... Uh, I'm confined to the homes, you know, I can't, uh, I can't go outside. So, uh, I have to come outside and talk to you if I can. I'm in my carport and I'm just talking as loud as I can. So you hope you can hear me. Somebody said, where have you been, Mr. Gunner? And I on the internet and I said, well, I'm still here. Thanks for asking. I'm sheltering at home. And they came back and said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, Sticking with uh, what I've been told by my doctor. Now, my president says one thing and my governor says one thing. And I know Asa Hutchinson. I like him. He's a good man. But um, uh, the I don't think that Governor Hutchison, uh, pardon me, sir, but I don't think he's a doctor. And I don't care what you say. You can vote for him 25 times in a row. <laughs> I'm not doing anything if my doctor tells me it could be detrimental to my health. I'm 69 years old. You can't just do what some politician says. I pity the people of Mississippi for all those bugs and all the uh, all the stuff they've got and the trouble they've got. But the, uh, one of their governors told overruled their cities and their cities that made their own choices. You know, this is America. And the cities had enacted public health. Don't you believe in that? I do. For example, I think they ought to. I think they ought to make sure the water's safe. Steve, who do you think ought to make the water safe? The people that sell it? No, I don't. I don't think the people that sell it ought to make it make it safe. In fact, I don't think the people that sell it ought to be different from me and you. I think the people ought to own it. Wouldn't that be interesting if the people owned the water? Now, I don't know for sure who owns the water up here, but uh, I've been paying rent for mine every month, but I don't know for sure about that because it's kind of complicated. Uh, up here, we have a, we have a, what's called Beaver Lake. And if you haven't been to Beaver Lake, you, you ought to come up here. We used to have up here a real beautiful area. It had the uh, Osage Indians in it. They, uh, they, were, they were the most unusual people. They did not own land. They said God did. They said God owned the land. Their God was called Wakanda. 
And if you were in an Osage home, first of all, you wouldn't be in a five-story palace with, uh, uh, you know, indoor pools because that's not the way they traveled. The Osage Indian were a light possession people. They did not have a problem with possessions. Now, I don't know if any of your neighbors had that problem, but I have some neighbors here in Bentonville that are persecuted by their possessions. They've got so darn many possessions, they don't know where to put them. I, I know one guy's got more cars than he can drive. You can only drive one car at a time. You know what? And I'm not kidding about this. I was talking to one of the Waltons, one of the female Waltons. That would be the smart ones. When I was teaching uh, her children, and I said to her, I'm, I'm impressed. I said, can I say this to you privately? I said, I'm never going to say this in public, so don't quote me, okay? I said, uh, I said, Lynn, I think it's so impressive that you do not drive a Jaguar. You don't, you don't have a Jaguar XKE. I would if I had, I mean, I didn't say that, but I thought it. But I did say to her that I think it's just so impressive that uh, you do this kind of thing all the time. And I said, uh, your car is, you know, kind of ordinary, really. I mean, can I say that? And she said, and she looked at me with a withering, cold truth. I don't know if y'all know the Waltons or not, but I taught their uh, children and their grandchildren. And here's what. I know. She looked into my soul, and that that's a very sweet uh, mom. She's a wonderful uh, parent and has always been a first-class citizen in our little town. And I never will forget when she just withered my soul and said, Steve, a lot of people don't know this, but all that money that uh, Sam and the company made uh, we don't regard that as our money. And uh, I thought to myself, well, good, maybe that means it's going to be mine. <laughs> and uh, then she said, we have a rule, by and large, in the family, that we don't live beyond our means. Now, I want you to think about this a minute. They are billionaires. They are. Someone told me that Walmart makes four or five, what, million, billion, wait a minute, zillion. There it was, that went by too quickly. They make about five zillion dollars a second, even even when uh, uh, when it's like it is now and, and, uh, it's, and nobody can even leave their home. That's how successful they are. They're pretty good at it, you know, I think. We have a rule in regard to money. We, we didn't we didn't know what to do with it. I said, uh, can I give you a metaphor? You know, we humans use figures of speech. And that helps us understand things because it's a picture painted. When we speak, we paint with our words the picture of what it is we're trying to say. And so she said, uh, we, we, uh, we don't have regard uh, we had a problem, and you would too if you were if you were the Waltons. It's the problem that many psychologists report uh, of people that are troubled and come to them and say, "We have a problem." And this is Mrs. Astor. Remember the Astor family? 
uh, up there in uh, uh, New York. You, you ever hear the saying, uh, I'm as rich as Rockefeller? You know, I met Mr. Rockefeller one time. And you know, the, the, the uh, many times the psychologists up in New York City and other places say, a lot of our patients come here and they don't have a problem in the world of a material nature. They can snap their fingers and own and possess anything. But you can't buy the things that really count, can you? You cannot buy the things that you really want because money is such a low and mean measurement for the value of a life. How much money do you make, Steve? Well, how dumb a question can you ask, man? Hey, Steve, how much money do you have in the bank? Well, brother, how dumb can you be to ask that question? <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, you can't buy your soul with it, can you? No. There's not much you can do with money. You can satisfy some basic needs. You can satisfy a million wishes. And every time you buy the thing you wish for, you become unhappier. Plus, you're burdened with the possession of the possessions. The possessing of possessions is a great burden. It really is. How many times have you seen these rich families run into the problem? And what do they do? Some of them flame out. Some of them, uh, some of them go crazy. The psychiatrist said they come into her office day and night. They have more money than they know what to do with. And they seek guidance from the psychologist. And they say, we have a problem. We've got too much money. You know, I've actually known families that had that problem. That wouldn't be the Waltons, though, because as I was speaking to her, she said, uh, you know, when that uh, when that started, we had a problem. And I interrupted her and I said, can I give you a figure of speech? Can I make a metaphor? Can I paint a picture for you? I said, you were in the condition of a man who was trying to drink water from a fire hose. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever see a fire in New York City and they turn on those big city hoses and there's enough gushering water coming out of there to flood the world and you stand in front of that and open your mouth and, and you try to drink from that. She said, we knew that, that uh, we couldn't do that. We knew that if we didn't make a plan for that, that we would be destroyed, drowned in the millions and the billions. And I thought to myself, golly, I, I never thought of that. I didn't even think about that. See, I've lived in towns where the children are so poor. In Arkansas, when you're down there in the Delta and, and those, those children are so poor that when they see a trash dump, they, they see a treasure house. They see a golden treasure house. And I asked one of the pastors down there, why didn't he uh, preach against that? And he, and he just looked at me like, you just don't know enough to, to ask the next question. <laughs> to those children, it was a gold mine of opportunity to find something useful to redeem and take home and clean it up and make something out of it. I knew a, a Appalachian a hillbilly 
that moved to Oklahoma. And then they moved to uh, California because the economy kept breaking down and the dust storms kept coming in and the famine kept attacking the American heartland. And they, they fled to the coast where there were jobs in the valleys and the fruitful fields and the bountiful American land. And you know, um, he was so poor, he uh, he went out to the city uh, city dump and he said, you know, I found uh, I found some wood somebody had thrown away, and uh, I found some uh, uh, strings that had come from a piano. And by the time he got through with it, Bob Taylor had started a guitar company, one of the most successful American. It's one of America's most successful companies. I'm proud to tell you I own two Taylor guitars myself, worth every penny that I paid for them. But the first Bob Taylor guitar was made by Bob Taylor, and he didn't have a dime. But he had willpower, and he lived in America, and he made it happen. Well, when she told me that, I said, uh, that's really nice that you, you uh, that explains a lot about uh, your children. That explains a lot to me about Mr. Sam Walton's grandchildren. I never taught him over a respectful family. Neighbor, we're in danger of losing our identity as a people. Now, I'm not talking about our skin color. That's not our identity. You know, an American is not known by his color. Hey, you're an American. I can tell because you're purple. <laughs> That's not how you know you're an American. So what is it? It is our identity. That would be a topic for another day because we're running out of time. But we're in danger of losing that identity. And I know that's true because right now this darn virus, this killer virus that's come into town has made it so dangerous. Our democracy counts on groups of people working together. The virus counts on groups of people getting together, and then it kills us. Golly, it's it's democracy versus bacteria. It's what it, it's really what it is. It's our democracy itself. America, the beautiful, is up against one of the ugliest, meanest viruses that ever came to be. I didn't really think it was that bad at first. I think you probably were like me. You thought, "Oh, come on, it's just the flu." Well, golly, I, I don't know. You watch the news today and read what doctors say. Now, don't listen to what Asa Hutchinson says or anybody else says. I don't care what the governor of Mississippi says. He doesn't know anything. I know more about being a doctor than he does because I worked in the hospital. <laughs> I did. I worked at the front door and and, uh, and it kept the place cleaned up. <laughs> and I know more about medicine than the governor of Mississippi does any day. You do, too. I know that our democracy is in danger and it's being attacked by a virus that's killing the, the democracy people. That's us. I know we're in trouble because <laughs> how do you know when somebody's in trouble? Do you know their yard isn't mowed? They don't comb their hair anymore? That'd be Boris Johnson, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm worried about Boris over there in London. How do we know our neighbor's in trouble? I walk the neighborhood every day. I walked around my neighborhood yesterday and I never saw anybody. I live in a ghost town. 
Our democracy counted on people gathering in the church, people gathering in the hood. I have a friend of mine that his neighborhood, they have permanent chairs. Uh, and there's an island down at the end of their, uh, uh, you know, their their neighborhood. There's a little island and they, they, they have planted flowers. And it's not my flowers, it's our flowers. And they have a garden down there and it's not my garden, it's our garden. You need a tomato? Come to our garden and get one. And it's just the most interesting thing you ever saw because I'm going to tell you something. I believe America can redeem itself from this virus by banding together in very smart and effective ways and cooperating together. I am not going to come outside of my home and give you a big hug. That's not what I'm talking about. We're going to have to be brothers in the spirit until we beat this virus, aren't we? Get smart. Listen to your doctor. Listen to your medical training people. Listen to science. Don't listen to nonsense. Don't listen to rumors. Don't listen to prejudice. Find someone that's got their head screwed on. Listen to them. That's what I do. Mr. Gunner, how do you know there's really anything out there? Brother, when you get outside your house and you see the sign in front of the Waffle House, now there's democracy at breakfast. When you see the, the, the Waffle House sign says closed for business, damn it, democracy's under attack when your Waffle House won't open the front door. I used to go in a Waffle House back when I smoked cigarettes and, and have a smoke while I was uh, having a beautiful breakfast. They'd have some uh, Hank Williams music. Uh, you'd have to put your own coins in the jukebox. You could have Johnny Cash singing Big River. Light up a cigarette and tell people what you thought. This is called democracy. <laughs> uh, but you can't do that right now because uh, when you go down to the Waffle Hut, the sign says, we're not open. Well, who made them close? The doctors did. If we don't stop clustering out there, we're going to have the largest number of dead people you ever saw. Now, that's not, I'm not making that up. That's science. Look outside your window and tell me if your Waffle Hut's open. No, it isn't. It's closed. I want to leave with a Bible keyword. In the book of Nahum, <laughs> now come on, you haven't read that book since you were a baby. <laughs> but I have my uh, I have my Hebrew uh, keywords, uh, Bible keywords open. Now I only use the King James version, but I can't talk about that today. I only use the keywords of the King James version. These are the key keys to the kingdom keywords. <laughs> okay, let me turn down here and read it, and get, we'll get out of here. In the book of, of uh, Nahum, and I'm in chapter 3 of Nahum, and I'm, I'm, uh, uh, gonna, I'm gonna read verse 1. This is Nahum's warning to Nineveh, and this is this is probably a warning to Bentonville, too. Whoa, to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of harsh. <laughs> Our Bible keyword for today is uh, bloody. 
That's keyword number 1818 if you're using the Bible keyword system that I'm using. And it doesn't mean bloody. It means, no, it doesn't mean bloody. That's King James English. Well, I can't help it. That's humanity. The truth of the matter is, if you get down in there and look at it, that's called scholarship. Don't be, a, don't be naive and surface. Get down in there. Dive down deep. And you know what you're going to find out? Turn to number keyword 1818. It says, whoa, that's Hebrew for look out. Look out, big city. You know what that word means? Baloney. It means baloney. Look out, big city. You're a deceiver. You're you're full of baloney. Be not deceived. That, I bet that I bet that phrase appears a million times, doesn't it? Be not deceived. Big house, big money, big deal. You know what really counts? Find an island at the end of your neighborhood, put some chairs in it, start you a garden, and invite everybody else to plant their seed. And then when it all comes out of there, work together, enjoy the fruit of your harvest. This democracy is under challenge by a vile virus. But I'll tell you what I think. It's not too late for America to get together and bang on a drum all day long for democracy. Thank you for listening.